Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. I'm the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene. And you can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. Is the sky falling, Michael? If you ask anyone with a Nashville address, it is. <laughs> um, we will talk lots about the first five games, but we're going to do it Rational. in a converse. Yes, rationally. Yes, that's a good point. We are going to do it through the lens of sample size. Everything, whether it's the penalty kill, whether it's power play, whether it's the, the lackadaisical defense, whether it's relying too much on UC Soros, the star power of this team, and the high price numbers that are maybe are not showing up on the box score from the big dollar ticket items, uh, whether it's Ekholm and McDonough, McDonough, I know you and, and, and Gover had a big conversation about that on It's All Your Fault. Check that podcast out every single Monday from the Nashville scene and the Nashville Post with you and Gover. Great episode this week, by the way. Um, we're going to do have all these conversations about what we've seen in the first five games, but we, I want to do it through the lens of sample size. When is the right time or the right size of data to make judgments about certain parts of this hockey team. Um, so we're going to have that conversation. That's going to sort of sort of guide us through this entire episode uh, because we are five games in They're two, two and one. We got two games coming up on Thursday and on Saturday and then a little break. And so next week, I think we'll actually have a little bit more information uh, in terms of a, a nicer si sample size, but that's going to be what we talk about today on the show. Of course, check out all the great work from Michael and all of your, uh, your coworkers there on the Nashville scene, the Nashville Post. Uh, you can also follow them, as you mentioned, at MG Sports underscore. Uh, before we do any of that, however, the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. It is. It is, in fact, brought to you by Jaspers. It's also brought to you by Weiss Liquors, as I'm wearing the shirt, Weiss Liquors. But Jaspers is our is our primary sponsor. And in honor of the Nashville Predators special teams, which are maybe not so special, in particular, the power play. It has regressed. We'll discuss why. We'll discuss some fixes. The penalty kill, because they're taking a bazillion penalties. Um, Jaspers is trying to do their part, Michael. They've got specials, happy hours, all the time. Uh, every single Monday through Friday, four to six. You got two-for-ones on Sundays, all your drinks all day. You got Preds deals, of course. Everybody knows about this. The $10 smash burger, $3 beers during Preds home and road games. And now they're introducing a bucket of beers. Michael, for six dollars. <laughs> between between Jaspers and Weiss Liquors, if the Pred Special Teams is driving you to drink, we have you covered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Uber Eats, by the way, Weiss Liquors, and have the booze delivered to your house in as quickly as twenty minutes. Uh, but if you don't, and you want to go hang out and watch the game. Jaspers is absolutely your spot. Again, we mentioned all the specials. They have redefined the the happy hour. And, and I don't, you know, I don't know about you, Michael, but when I see like a dollar off a $15 glass of wine, like that's not a happy hour. That's not a special. That's not a reason for me to come in to drink somewhere or to watch a game. Jasper's gives you real special teams. They give you real offers to come watch Preds games. And but, oh, by the way, Thursday night against Columbus, watch party. Nash is going to be there. The energy team is going to be there. So go check out Jasper's on Thursday night. Bring the kiddos. Have a good time. Six o'clock start time a little earlier. So remember that. Uh, so you got a big watch party at Jasper's on Thursday night uh, against Columbus. So that's tonight because we come out on Thursday mornings. Uh, and make sure you go to Jasper's, folks. It's really not that we're not asking that much. Go to Jasper's and shop at Weiss Liquors, two locally owned businesses that support your Nashville Predators. All right. 4-3 loss against the Kings on Tuesday night. And I'm going to give you like my quick Cliff's Notes version. I did not see you were there. So I want to know what, what it felt like, what the crowd was like at each of the first two home games. Uh, I was uh, across the street um, at uh, a Jason Isbell concert. So I, I came home late at about 1145 and sat down and watched a big chunk of the game. And then I started it over in the morning and watched the third period. <laughs> I went to bed feeling, okay, all right. Too many penalties. Uh, nice, nice goal by Cody Glass to start. Kings kind of dominated play most of the first and then first half of the second period. But it's, it's three to one. I'm feeling good. And then I watched the third period. <laughs> on Wednesday morning, and I don't feel as good. So here's my succinct analysis, which is, number one, it is unacceptable at any point in time to give up a two-goal lead at home with eight minutes to go in the game. Full stop. Like, I don't need to add any analysis to that. It's just unacceptable. You, you, you have to figure out a way to win the game. Uh, number two, I think the Kings are really good. I don't know how good. They're very, there's some really young pieces there. They're very talented. They're very skilled. Uh, Brendan Lemieux has a very punchable face. Um, but, but 
but they're very talented. The Velarde kid is just like he is going to be really good. Like I think they were ahead of schedule last year. They had more points than Nashville last year. They finished third in the in the Pacific Division. I think that's a good hockey team, and they played them fairly evenly for most of that game. I so the quick analysis is unacceptable outcome, but I think the Kings are pretty good. And that is before we get into all the details and the the nuance and the minutia of how this team has looked through five games. Yeah, if only John Hines had the benefit of taking in a concert at the Ryman for the first two periods and then going back to <laughs> to watch the third period later on, it might have been a different game. But yeah, I mean, he pretty much just hit the nail on the head. It, it was the the first period was up and down. They had probably their best penalty kill of the year in in that first period. And I think Chris Mason said like the first 10 minutes, they came out with a little more like FU in their game and they were playing kind of the way you want the Predators to play. And then for like a five minute stretch, they didn't have a shot on goal. Los Angeles just kind of got back into it. They they allowed the Kings to hang around. And I think that was just a big mistake as we saw in the third period. And it was it was almost like the Kings did to the Predators what the Predators want to do to every other team. And Brendan Lemieux is a great example of what they kind of want Tanner Janot and Trenton to do is Go out there and get under, get under everyone's skin. Go out there and push people around. You know, talk some trash, start some fights, and just kind of bit him in bit him in the ass last night. And I, I think we'll, we we can get into all this stuff. But I tweeted out too many too many penalties, poor shooting from the forwards. The defense was terrible. They relied too much on UC Saros. It was just the perfect storm last night of everything that's wrong with this team encapsulated into one game. Yeah, and I, I and I want to work. I want us today on the show to work through each one of those things kind of separately and individually at Coleman McDonough is a part of that. Cause I know you guys talked about that a lot on, on Monday's episode, but I, I think I want to do that through the, again, we're going to do that through the lens of how much time do you need? How much data do you need? What's the right sample size to make any definitive judgments on some of these issues with this team? Like, I think some of them we can already say, <laughs> like, yeah. I think there's some of them we can already be like, this is a major concern. We've got to solve this problem. Uh, and we'll get to some of those. I, I just think, I don't know about you. I wrote down game flow a lot watching the first period, like, and, and, and obviously the penalties parade at the beginning of the second period, you know, stopped any, any and all chance at momentum. But I thought they just like, they weren't playing. Like, I think you said it right. Like the Kings brought the Preds game to the Preds. And I didn't think they forechecked. I didn't think they entered the zone cleanly. There was no like real sustained rush or offensive possession. It was largely all Kings after Cody Glass's goal, which I'm I'm assuming is a big positive here. Like we got to make sure we point out the positives because Cody Glass. That's I, what did you say? Uh, um, March of last year, first yeah, time he so scored a goal. First goal in over a year and a half, and you just kind of. Uh, it, and I, I don't want to you know, overplay it too much, but you could kind of just see like the metaphorical, like shackles fall off of him after he scored that goal. <laughs> that was probably like the most liberating goal that the kid has scored. And there was, there was a little hint of Philip Forsberg in the, in the way that he set that up and the way he scored too. So it was, it was, and it wasn't just one of those ones where, okay, he happened to be in the right place at the right time. Like Cody glass made that goal happen with sheer willpower. And that was something that was really cool to see. Cause I feel like that fourth line, I think there's a stigma that people think the fourth line is supposed to go out there, play like eight minutes, just go out there and just not mess up. But I think with the way that the players they have on the fourth line, Cody glass in particular, that can be a weapon for them because I don't think a lot of people expect much production out of the fourth line. And I think Cody glass can kind of buck that trend a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that's valid. And a couple other positives. I mean, Tanner, Janot snaps his 20 game scoreless streak. If you count the playoffs in last season, uh, so I'm assuming that was he probably felt pretty good about that one as well. Granlin's uh, off to another great start as well. Mikhail Granlin, I know you, Mike, Mikhail Granlin, five assists, but really that assist was just absolutely disgusting. And Nito Niederreiter, of course, also had a chance in the third period that would have won the game if he just buries the two on one. And he bounces it off the post. But two, yeah. some some positives here, of course, Cody Glass, Tanner Janot, Mikhail. So Mikhail Granlin, basically the only guy creating offense, and Nito Niederreiter, the only guy you know, scoring goals right now at this point. And even the though team. they lost, I, I still think UC Saros was, was a positive takeaway from that. I mean, it, they're, his team is not making his job easy. And I think he's he's gone out there, you know, the last couple of games, the Dallas games notwithstanding. But I think he's really – imagine how much worse off this team would be if they didn't have him in net. If this was Kevin Lincoln and starting every game, like they, yeah. this would be terrible right now to talk about. Well, so even then, because I think that's a good point, um, I, I thought about this. Like they're 2-2-1. Two, two and one. If you look at the two they win against San Jose, certainly, you know, sort of anomaly situation there over in Europe. That and San Jose is not particularly good. They win both games. 
That's that that that's not exactly an accurate representation of who they are. They come back, they get smoked by Dallas. Not an accurate representation of necessarily who they are. I actually think because the two goals they did give up, and I do think this is interesting, because Yossi was in position to stop the the, the crossing pass that the first goal, the second goal, I guess I should say the, the first third period goal, the one at the eight minute mark or whatever, seven minute mark. Yossi's in position. It bounces off a leg. Is that Yossi's fault? Is that Saros's fault? Is that luck? It's a lot more luck in my mind. I thought Carrier did a poor job of, of playing defense on the other side to allow the entry in the past than it more than anything. Um, but that's not necessarily any one guy's fault. It's certainly not Saros's fault. Uh, and then, of course, Nito Niederreiter's stick break, so he has to go get the one, the stick on a four-on-three, and we can talk about why they're on the, <laughs> why, why they're a man down in the first place. But as soon as he vacates space to go get the stick, R- Roy steps in and scores the goal on the backside. Like, is that UC Saros's fault either? And I would say, no, it's probably not. So, yeah, I, I wish there was like a stat. I mean, if anyone would know, maybe Adam does. Maybe <laughs> Sport Logic tracks this. I wish there was a way to know like the percentage of goals scored that happened because of like a fluky instance, like a stick breaking or yeah. a shift change or something that happens like that. Well, and, and I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there's, there's somebody out there in some basement tracking that uh, on a computer somewhere, but I, I guess I wanted to land with the two, two and one thing with, I feel like the Kings game is maybe the most, most accurate portrayal of who they are, because I think that's maybe the best team they've played so far. They were at home. They played well at times. They played poorly at times. It was 3-3 at the end of the day. Like It felt like that was the mo- most accurate version of the Predators, and that could be concerning because of the penalties uh, and the power play because they were 0 for 5. But I think like McDonough and Ekholm were a little bit better. Um, you know, Saros was excellent. Like I, I, Is that weird to say? Like I thought the Kings game might be the most accurate portrayal so far of the five that we've seen that shows us maybe who they are. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a it's a valid point because the, the two Dallas games, you got to think that those were games three and four for Nashville, games one and two for Dallas. Jake Ottinger looks like he's, you know, one of the top goalies in the in the league right now with the way he's playing. And it was just Dallas just always seems to have Nashville's number for whatever reason. I I, I don't want to put too much stock in the two good games they had against the Sharks as they were overseas. The, the homecoming stuff for Yossi and Niederreiter, like that was just kind of an aberration. And I think playing the Kings, that was really like the first real test of this was, okay, you're more than just one or two games into the season. This isn't just like, oh, all the hype for, for getting the season started and stuff like that. And, and I think something else to, to look at too and consider was the fact that Los Angeles is only one team is more pen, is penalized more than Nashville. And that's Los Angeles. So <laughs> I think it was just kind of interesting to watch these two teams take eight and nine penalties last night and just beat the hell out of each other up and down the ice and stuff. Because I mean, Kevin Viala tried to lay a hit on uh, Alex Carrier. That was a heavy collision. Cole Smith was knocking people around. Of course, Brendan Lemieux and Taryn Janot were chirping each other all game. I think that was a good example. And I think this could be, and I hate the term wake-up call because it's just such a cliche phrase, but I think it could be kind of serve as a wake-up call for the Predators of like, okay, they just did to us what we want to do to everyone else. What can we take from that game and extrapolate that's good and use and what can we make sure that we improve on going forward? And and I think... Not every game is going to have two former players that that one of which was beloved by the fan base. The other one was a court, sort of a prize prospect who clear, was obviously a big part of the the cup run at least for a couple series. Um, yeah. I got to admit, I was a little shocked when they were doing the pregame intros when they announced Victor Arvidsson to hear everyone shout that he sucked. That was that was a little surprising. I now is that, that not happened. is that not endearing at times though? Like, do they not do that because they love you too sometimes? No, I mean, they do it for everybody, but I thought it, he would have got a little bit warmer of a reception than that, but they, they went full, full. Oh, you're up. talking, you're talking about when they're standing on the line, they're actually doing the introduction, like on the blue line or whatever. Okay. Yeah, they go I, through I all the players yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. say he sucks afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I don't know why I, I, my, 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 again, I blame, I blame Jason Isbell and anything that was wafting through the Ryman auditorium <laughs> on Tuesday evening. Um, I, I just think the Kings are, are pretty good. I think there are some layers there with former players that make it a, maybe a more, difficult to analyze psychological situation because there's clearly extra juice there. No, no pun intended. Uh, I think, again, I think they're the best team they've played and I think we saw their strengths and their weaknesses, like all on display in one 60 minute game, I guess, 65 minute game. Um, and it ended in a loss. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if they played a, ended up playing like a seven game series against the Kings and they lose in seven, <laughs> exactly like that game just played out. Um, so one more, one more final point here on the broadcast. So they do, I'm assuming ESPN is stealing their rush idea 
I don't know. You probably didn't see this because you were at, at the game. So they go quiet on the broadcast and they're like, we're going to bring you the sights and sounds of the game. The beauty of hockey is being down on the ice and the da 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 the whole spiel. And they build it all up. And NASCAR does this on Fox where they, what do they call it? Um, now I'm drawing a total blank. Like crank it up, I think is what it is. And it's like, you're, it's sort of, it's designed to like turn up your sound system. The announcers aren't going to talk. They're going to let the sounds of the sport sort of, they're going to bring up the levels, turn up the surround sound, and let's listen to some cars go, you know, 200 miles an hour. I think it's a cool idea. The problem is they didn't do anything to the volume. It They just turned off the announcer's microphones, <laughs> and they didn't actually do anything. Like, if they actually brought up the levels on the ice and the mics on the ice, and I hear all the extra cool stuff that's going on down there, which there's a lot of communication, I think that would be a really cool idea but they didn't execute it very well at all. And then they score the goal in the middle of the rush. And so the crowd goes silent. <laughs> the uh, crowd goes silent and there's no announcers talking. And I was like, guys, that did not work. That didn't work. <laughs> it amazes me that a network with the production budget of ESPN and, some, and, and a network that does really does NFL broadcast really well. It amazes me how they just continue to miss the mark when it comes to hockey. And I, and I get that hockey is not their forte. And I understand that. But how hard is it to go out and throw money at the at people that are the best at their job and go and bring them over? And if you're going to invest this much money into putting, you know, games like this on a national TV, like you got to do it right. Because hockey is already struggling enough as it is. The casual fan or like someone who's just randomly channel surfing is like, oh, ESPN's got hockey on. What's this about? Like they're not doing them any favors by having terrible broadcast stuff like that go on. And I didn't think it was a terrible broadcast. I didn't think they added a ton of insight, although they did talk about Eckholm and McDonough being this lockdown pair like a dozen times. <laughs> so they listen uh, to the gold standard, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Well, and all of Michael Gallagher's content is what they do. Um, and again, it wasn't a failure necessarily. They just it's like it was a good idea, but they didn't execute it all the way. Because again, if you turned on the on ice mics pretty loudly for us to hear, I actually, I mean, certainly there's probably some FCC concerns there. Like you don't want to hear some guy dropping an F-bomb while he's skating through the neutral zone. But like, I don't know. Like, it, it, I think it's a cool idea. I just don't think they executed well. And of course, giving up a goal in the middle of it was just kind of comical to me. Um, so that's that's all we need to do when it, when it comes to it. should have done that when the Preds scored their second goal when Rocky Top was playing, and then Tanner Janot took advantage of Los Angeles kind of being confused on the ice and poked that second goal in. Yeah, he talk about some relief. That guy that guy enjoyed <laughs> himself on the, after that goal. Um, so anyway, not a great showing. Should have been two points. You take one, but should have been two. Uh, Columbus and, of course, Saturday against Philadelphia, who, by the way, looks better than, I guess, any of us expected. Uh, so we'll see. We'll have a really good conversation next week on both on both pods. Uh, having a seven game sample size, I think it gives us a better a better picture of what they are. But with that in mind, let's work through sort of each one of these big issues on the team. And I want to start with the one I think that you can say like I, people want to start with with the penalty minutes, and I, we'll get to there. But I want to start with the the, the high price star power on this team so far through five games. And because I think, say that again. That's a good place to start. <laughs> You're right. Roman Yossi, Philip Forsberg, Matt Duchesne. Three goals, four assists, seven total points, a negative six plus minus. Matt Duchesne took two of the worst penalties I have ever seen an $8 million player take in the history of my life. The spin around in the neutral zone just to like get in a guy's way and clearly going to trip him without even looking at where you're poke checking is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. And then in your offensive zone to slash to slash Drew Doughty when he's trying to just exit the zone with the putt, like I think John Hines talked about it after the game. Like we can't be taking penalties in the offensive zone. That is you, you are Matt Duchesne. You are 40 plus goal scorer. You are a veteran. You make a ton of money. You cannot make those mistakes. That was one of the worst games I think I've seen him play. Philip Forsberg, other than like one really good four check and at the end of the first period that drew a penalty and then a couple of nice moments in the third period and maybe in overtime, I, I didn't notice him on the ice all that much. Haven't noticed him on the ice all that much. And then Roman Yossi's again, I thought he was in position to stop the second goal, but he doesn't make the play and he's got one point on the season. I mean, 16 penalty minutes for Matt Duchesne. Like, to me, we got to start this conversation with stars need to be stars. And I don't think I need much more sample size to say this isn't good enough <laughs> for those players. I don't need 10 games for this. I, I'm good at five saying this isn't good enough. 
Yeah, I mean, only six players last night had three or took three or more shots, and Forsberg and Janot were the only ones that that scored a goal. And, and something that just it blew my mind when I was looking over the box score and kind of analyzing the game a little bit this morning. Duchesne, Forsberg, Granlund, and Yossi all played at least six minutes and 20 seconds of power play time or more last night, and they all combined for zero goals. How does that happen when you have four players as offensively talented as those four are, and you play almost six and a half minutes each of, on the power play, and you come away with zero goals? It just It's amazing how the offense has just kind of disappeared. I mean, the Preds are 28th in goals per game. They're, they're under two and a half goals per game, which is kind of surprising. They've only scored two goals in the first period. Only seven teams have scored fewer goals in, in the first period than Nashville has. Like it's just, it's been a mess all the way around. And something that I was looking at, like a little advanced analytics, and something that surprised me, they lead the NHL with 80 missed shots. And what I think I got it off of uh, it was either Money Puck or Natural Stat Trick. I think it might have been Natural Stat Trick. And what they qualify a missed shot as are shots that either sail wide or high of the net, hit the goal post or the crossbar, and they're not counted as a technical shot on goal. The Preds have 80 of those. Just imagine if they were to get, I don't know, say 10% of those to go in. Imagine how much different this offense would look. I, I feel like, so I like that stat, but I don't think it should include posts. I, I feel like post is like the, it's literally the neutral zone of a good shot yeah. and a bad shot. <laughs> like, no, I, 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 think, I think a post should count as a shot on goal, frankly. Yeah, if you hit a goal post or a crossbar, which is a part of the goal, how is that not I, a shot I, on goal? But I know, I know. regardless, 80 missed shots, that, that's a lot of missed scoring opportunities right there. And so, and some other stats, too, because I'm, I'm not quite on Vingan's level, but I, I do love my stats. The Predators have the sixth worst, sixth worst shooting percentage in the league. It's 8.3. They have the fourth worst shooting percentage on unblocked shots. They have the second highest percentage of unblocked shots that miss the net. And 26.8% of all their shot attempts are blocked. So the offense, that's basically a long way of saying the offense has just not been good. Yeah, and 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 again, I, I don't need any more games to say that this isn't good enough. So I don't need a bigger sample size. Now I will couch that by also saying I don't expect Roman Yossi to average one point every five games. Like yeah. I, we know that's not going to happen. We know that these guys are going to turn around in some form or fashion and, and, and score and create offense and do all this other stuff. So we know Nito Nito Ryder is not going to average a goal a game. Like we know it's all going to regress to the mean, but I do know that that's not good enough. And so if you're talking about one goal in each game against Dallas, I, that star power has to come through. Like the star power has to show up. And so I think if you're going to get, if Forsberg is going to be the, the high paid guy that he is and Yossi's going to get nine, million and Duchesne's going to be a 40 goal scorer and make 8 million. You got to deliver. You got to deliver. So, and I, and they, and they know that like, this isn't like some, we're not, this isn't like rocket science here. So we talk uh, about the top line needing to be the the driving force of the offense and to a degree that's true, but out of the 12 goals they've scored this year, they've got four of them. So two have come from Johansson, Niederreiter and Sherwood as a line. One's come from Smith glass and Tolvanen and one's come from Forsberg, Johansson and Tolvanen. So it's showing that a third of their goals have either come from, when they just double shift some players at the end, or if they mix up, kind of swap things out a yeah. little bit where it's like, okay, we're in the middle of a, of a shift change and like two players get on the ice and one player has to stay out there for defensive reasons, yeah. stuff like that. And it's just John Hines, for whatever reason, has, has struggled with putting together a consistent lineup. And it's just, we're, we're seeing that really kind of come to fruition right now where he's just having a hard time finding who to put where and who's going to score and all that stuff. And I think the conversation around the top line can push us into a conversation about special teams, which is also a big issue here. We'll get to, again, we'll get to penalty minutes in a second, but the power play uh, and special teams. And if you want great specials and you're Preds fans, make sure you go to Jasper's, of course, make sure you swing by. You got $10 smash burger, $3 beers during Preds games. You got a, you got a, a road watch party on Thursday night against Columbus, 6 PM Nash and the energy team is going to be there. So make sure you swing, swing on by Saturday against the flyers. Same deal. They got buckets of beer now for 25 bucks. That's like $4 a beer. You got two for ones on Sundays. You got four to six happy hour every every day, basically. So I think Wednesdays you, you got uh, five dollar bubblies. So if you if you like your uh, champagne or your rosé, you know, you want to take the missus to to, to Jasper's for five dollar uh, beverages, go on Wednesdays. So lots of specials from Jasper's. Make sure you check them out. All right. Uh, one for twenty one. Not good. And I think it it ties directly into what you're talking about with that top line. 
and that this power play unit was one of the better units in the league last year, one of the better units in franchise history. And if you listen to last week's episode when I was out on vacation, um, we, we talked about how a regression from the power play is to be expected because they scored so many goals from basically from far away, from the blue line, um, low percentage shots. So there should be an expected regression on the power play. Not to this level, <laughs> not, not to one for 21. In your opinion, what is the issue with this group, this top line that is the same as last year that that produced so much? Yeah, I mean, a, f- a power play that's clicking at 4.8 percent is, is <laughs> I don't even I don't have the words to describe how bad that is. It's not worst. It's not the worst. <laughs> it's not worse. Yeah, that I mean, that's true. They're they're not the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Just just take penalties on Thursday night. Just all ever both teams. Just take penalties. <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I wish I had an answer. You would think a team that can throw Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg and Matthew Shane and Mikhail Granlin and Roman Yossi out there could could stumble upon a goal just blindly doing just just by skating. I, I don't know. <laughs> the issue is some things that I saw last night that kind of stuck out to me a little bit while watching the power play go over eight. They I and say say what you want about Ryan Ellis and uh, to a degree with Shea Weber too. They really miss having that defenseman with a booming slap shot. The the thing I noticed last night was they couldn't get shots through to the net. They could get them to the front of the net, but they were blocked by what the Kings were doing and how they were defending them. They did they don't have someone with that booming slap shot that can stand back from the blue line or from the faceoff dot and just really tee off and force a force a puck through the net. So that's something that I think that really kind of I don't know if they have anyone that that's capable of doing that. Um, but that's something I, I've kind of noticed. And I, I feel like just shot placement, they're trying to do too much. They're trying to, to get a little creative. And, and Ekholm even talked about this after the, the Dallas game last Thursday, he said they were trying to do too much and they were trying to be too cute with the puck. And that was something that they, they really need to work on is being more like cerebral with their shots and being and setting things up and not just, you know, shooting on, on that just, just for the sake of shooting and stuff. So those are two things that I think, Again, it's hard not to overreact five games into this, but I think if they can work on that, if they can maybe work on setting some things up better, maybe the passing too. The passing was all over the place. It felt like they were just passing just to pass instead of having like an intended destination and stuff for what they're trying to do. So I think just my opinion, I think those are the things they need to work on. It's interesting, the, the blue line weapon, like having that offensive weapon in your arsenal. If you were to rank everybody on this team currently defensemen, um, and you were to put Shea Weber, PK Subban, and Ryan Ellis shots on the list. I think I don't think there's a single player on this team that has one of those three shots. No, uh, not at all. From the defense court. Now they didn't have it last year either. <laughs> so how are they so good last year? And is there a forward that you can put back there? You know, again, we know Forsberg plays back there. We know Grandland. I I I also think that to your point about the passing, I thought there was and some of this was sometimes it was five on five. I noticed this, but it was also on the power play where there's just too much ISO skating. It's like, you're doing hero ball, that the basketball thing in the offensive yeah. zone. Like, what do y'all do? Like it, it puck movement has to be fast. It needs to be bing, bing you know, tic-tac-toe, bang, bang, bang. And there's a lot of just skating around with the puck. And Johansson sometimes does that. And he's like luring you in <laughs> and he's trying to trick you into doing something else. And then sometimes he just holds onto it for too long. So um, I, I don't That's- know what, the issue is, I again, I think there's a middle ground. They're going to get much better than 4.5% or 4.8%. They're going to be better than 1 for 21. But I don't think it's ever going to be what it was last year because of the metrics that that indicated that last year. we They were a little lucky on the power play last year. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's, it's unrealistic to expect them to continue to have the sixth best power play in the league. And I, I think you, if I'm John Hines, I look to maybe sh- <clears throat> shake some things up. I say you put Tolvin in on the first power play unit on the first power play unit. And maybe you, I don't know, bump Duchesne down to the second unit. Um, maybe you give Niederreiter a look up there. Maybe you, I don't know, Tanner Janot goes up there. I, I think there's a lot of things they can do to kind of shake things up. I think they just have to identify what the main issue is. If it's, if it's one player and what they're doing, or if it's just what they're, what they're trying to do collectively, I'm not really sure. It just, it hasn't looked pretty. 4.8% is a really bad number. So that's obviously got to change I, to my, understanding like Dan Lambert still very heavily involved in the power play. And he was, I don't want to call him the savior, but he really kind of came in a couple of years ago and resolved the underlying issues and got them better. So I just, I don't, I don't know what you do. You, you would think with as much star power as they have on that power first power play unit, they would be able to, to 
to score more than one in what 20 something attempts well and tolvin into your point has the sniper shot uh, nito nito rider is is plays the arvidson role but like bigger and better in front of the net yeah. um so like they've got pieces to use now i i'm okay with changing things up if they want to mix some pieces up and because john Hines likes to do that my, my question for you is how long how big is the sample size before you say that the power play is a major concern? Cause I don't think five games is enough to say at four and eight points, like this percentage is not going to continue. It's going to get better. What, yeah. what is like, I think I need to see if there's still like bottom three, four, five teams in the NHL and we've gotten to probably 15 or 20 games. I think I need to get to 15 or 20 games before I say, all right, we're back to Peter Laviolette power play problem time. I'm not there yet. Yeah. I, I think my hard number would be 15 games. If you're if you're at 15 games and you're still under 8%, I think that's a big red flag and something has to be done. Whether you move the entire second power play unit up to the first, whether you start pulling people off the first unit, whether you, I don't know, go with three defensemen and two four. I don't I don't know what you do, but I think if you get to 15 games and you're still kind of underperforming the way you are now, something has to happen. All right. So we've addressed the star power needing to score. I already know that I've got a big enough sample size. I already I already know that that's an issue that 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 needs to be fixed. I'm not ready to 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 go all panicky and sky is falling yet on the power play. I need another. I think you're right. Another ten games, twelve games, and then if they're still down under eight percent, ten percent, and one of the worst in the league, then we've got to figure something out. We got to make some changes. Now let's get to the penalties, the penalty minutes, the power play opportunities for the opposition. Before we do, however, let's remind everybody about our wonderful and amazing sponsor, Weiss Liquors, right there on Gallatin in East Nashville. If uh, you want booze delivered right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes, just go to Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors, and support local business. Because uh, if you're watching the power play for the Predators, or if you're counting the number of times, or you're playing a drinking game, let's say, for the number of time every time the Preds take a penalty, uh, you're going to need more booze. So better go to Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors, and have that booze delivered right to your house. I, I don't know if they would deliver the booze to Bridgestone Arena. I don't know. Um, that's sne- that's a sneaky life cheat right there. But uh, Bridgestone I don't know. might have some regulations against that. I, yeah, but, you know, maybe you can get it in. We're not condoning that. We're not suggesting you try. Uh, but, <laughs> but if somebody wants to try to Uber Eats booze to, to lower Broadway... <laughs> Uh, what's the what's the old uh, the old adage about like you just take what is it taking water to the lake or something like what's the whole thing where like you don't need to bring booze to Broadway like it's yeah. it's, it's already there <laughs> I, I I screwed all of that up but again I blame the concert um, go to Weiss Lakers of course support local business they have been owned and operated family owned and operated in Nashville for almost a hundred years Jasper's as well so he, here's the difference between the power play and the penalty kill for me last year <laughs> like. If we're talking about sample size for the power play, last year disproves the concerns you have about this power play. Last year's sample size says it's not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. It'll work itself out. The problem with penalty minutes, which is now, what, 28 penalties, 22 power play opportunities, um, which I believe is second in the NHL right now. Now, the penalty kill itself, they were one for eight. crazy penalty numbers if you want them. Oh, I do. I do want them. Uh, (laughs) they They were one for eight killing the penalty and they're actually better at 82 almost 82 percent their upper half in killing penalties so far which is actually better than where they were last year the problem is is that the sample size in my opinion because it's largely the same players and the same coaching staff and it's the same problem because they were number one in the league last year and penalties taken and penalty minutes and all that stuff they were so bad they were they were going to the box you know ad nauseum the, the problem with me is I don't think I need any more games to suggest that this is just still a problem for this team from last season that has yet to be fixed or solved. And I'm sure you've got some numbers that, <laughs> that, that make it even worse for fans. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that kind of goes along with a, this overriding theme of we've seen it with UC Saros. We've seen it with the team in general. We're seeing it now with penalties, like the predators, just they're, they're not good starters. They get off to really bad starts and it takes them, 10, 15 games to really kind of settle into a groove. And I, I was just curious to compare their penalties from where they were at this point last year to where they are this year. And it's a lot worse this year. Oh, man. So the penalty minutes last year through five games were 44. This year, they're at 68. Penalty minutes <laughs> penalty minutes per game last year was eight minutes and 48 seconds. This year, 13 minutes and 36 seconds. Last year through five oh, games, my. they took 19 penalties. This year, they've taken 27. 
Last year through five games, they took 3.8 penalties per game. This year, they're at 5.31. Oh, my God. And they took 20. They took 17 minor penalties last year, and this year they've taken 23. So they've and they were the worst. worse. And they were the worst in the league last year. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just amazing that, that 23% of – yeah, 23% of the time they have a player in the penalty box during oh. games. That's just mind-blowing numbers to me. 5.3 that's average 5.3 penalties taken per game I, I i don't even know where to begin with this uh do you <laughs> i just I, so, i'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around all of this so in football in football they're like they're what does Vrabel say like don't do dumb shit to hurt the team uh yeah. there are there are e- like Vrabel. <laughs> no there are effort penalties and then there are like discipline penalties right like a, a penalty in which you are just busting your tail and grinding it out hard against a guy that's doing something really well and a penalty happens through the course of that exchange in some way shape or form you know like a holding call in 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 football i i mean i like don't want to see hooking penalty last night i feel like that was a good example of that where that he was, was a weird, trying... that was, and even that one was super weird because it looked like he hooked his own guy but anyway um like like dante fabro just like that's an interference call He's just skating through the offensive zone. It was weird. It was complicated, but it wasn't like lack of discipline to me. Yeah. I don't, maybe I'm wrong on that. The, the two Matt Duchesne penalties are just pure lack of discipline. That is just doing something dumb to hurt the team in that moment. And so and his first one, he literally, he just turns around and like hits the guy with a stick and knocks his own glove off. Like, how does that even happen? <laughs> he got, so what he gets beat, he got beat. The guy cuts back behind him and he was skating kind of the other direction. And instead of just like, turning around and busting your tail to get back into good position and, and, and cut off a passing lane of, or something. He just spins around and takes the guy out. Like, that's just not like, if you're the last line of defense and you want to give up a, a one-on-one, maybe coach says, okay, that's a fine penalty. That's an effort penalty, but not in the neutral zone. When you got four guys back in, in your own zone. I honestly thought he was going to have another bad one too. Cause I forgot what the play was, but it was in the middle or end of the second period. And they had a bad turnover and he got, he got beat by someone and it was, it was a breakaway and he was trying to skate and catch up with them. And he just couldn't, I forget, I don't remember who had, who had the puck and luckily Saros made a fantastic save on, on the breakaway there, but it, it almost just felt like last night was, I mean, we've talked about Matthew Shane being snake bitten a lot. I, I think it's moved away from him, him being snake bitten in terms of scoring goals. And now he's more snake bitten in terms of just doing dumb stuff. Yeah. And so, to me, how you fix it, like, I don't want Tanner Janot playing with less physicality or energy or fecal agitation. Like, I want him doing that. And if he's going to the penalty box and they're collecting a bunch of minutes because he's getting in fights, that's cool. That's fine. He's setting a tone. There's some strategy involved in that. It is the lack of discipline penalties in your own, like, in your offensive zone <laughs> when you are attacking the goal and you're taking silly, dumb sort of you know, like, and, and there was a couple of moments where Forsberg like didn't skate super hard to get to the puck on some stuff. And I'm just like, this is that that's the concerning stuff is the effort. It, it's like the lack of effort or lack of discipline. That's where you want to see somebody correct something. And I I'm concerned more about this than anything else, because to your point, and those stats are staggering, by the way, it's not only as bad as last year, it is already worse. And sh- sure. They're not going to average you know, whatever it was, 25% of the game in the penalty box, but you're up three. (laughs) Well, and the, and the weird thing is, and I can already hear people on Twitter like, well, but they didn't give up power play goals. They, they, you know, they killed all that time and they still had a three, one lead. That's not the reason they lost the game. And I'm actually okay with that, that logic, but you also don't give your story slope though. Like you don't get Saros is really good, but as we're going to about to talk about, you rely on him too much. He's going to eventually let you down. And you don't have opportunities then to sustain offense when you are constantly killing penalties uh, or yeah. even four on four, you're removing your own opportunities to score goals like they did at the end, which get, which led to the, the game tying goal because you're not in that situation where a stick break leads to Nito Niederreiter having to go to the bench and all of a sudden there's an opening for a guy to score a goal in a, in a, in a four on four. If you don't take the penalty, you're in the other end of the ice playing on a power play, hopefully for most of that two minutes. And so it just Brian McDonough and Matias Ekholm played seven minutes last night, both each seven minutes on the penalty kill. So they spent roughly 30% of their ice time on the penalty kill. So uh, this one, I'm, this is the one that I'm most concerned about of all of the things we've talked about today. This is the one that most concerns me. 
because it, it we have a large we don't I don't need another sample size. I don't need any more games to tell me that this is a problem because we have all of last year that that counts <laughs> as part of is, our sample size. This is something that they've just dealt with a lot more under John Hines than they did under any and under Peter Laviolette or Barry Trotz. I, I feel like because since John Hines has gotten here, at the beginning of every season, it feels like the first 10, 12, 15 games. We're constantly asking him, why are you taking so many so many penalties? Is it a discipline thing? Is it just being unaware of what's going on? How do you fix this? And it just repeatedly over and over and over. And I feel like I don't know if this is just a John Hines coaching philosophy that they just have to work through, whether the storm the first, you know, 10, 15 games of the year, and then you'll kind of even it out or what. But Nashville, they led the NHL last year with 4.71 penalties taken per game. They had 312 minor penalties, which was the most in the league, and 61 major penalties, which was not only the most in the league, but it doubled the next closest team. I'm so okay with the, is, I'm okay with the majors. That that one doesn't bother me as much. Granted, a lot of them are fighting majors, but right. some of them were, you know, the double minor high sticking stuff. Like there was a lot of dumb penalties that were that were in all that stuff too. And it just it, it's I think we've had enough talking about sample size. I think we've had enough sample size yeah, to just yeah. understand this is something that John Hines struggles with as a coach is coaching, not taking penalties. Yeah. Two, 284 power play attempts by the opposition last year, number one in the NHL. So it, hard to win a lot of games and be an elite team when you are on the power pl- or on the penalty kill more than anyone else in the NHL. And I, I agree with you. It's a Hines thing. It, it is. It, it, it like he wants them to be physical and he wants them to forecheck. He wants them to play 200 feet. Like he, he, like all the good things that we like about his philosophy also leads to this. So there has to be some happy medium. They've got to find the happy ground, the happy medium. And again, removing the discipline penalties or the lack thereof. I'm okay with effort penalties. I don't like lack of discipline penalties. And that's again, on Tuesday night specifically, I'm not saying Duchesne has this problem long-term or for the whole season, but He's got 16 penalty minutes leading the team, and two of them on Tuesday night were two of the worst I've, I've seen so far this season. So, um, all right, let's move on to the, the lackadaisical defense. And I want to package Eckholm and McDonough into this conversation because I think they're um, I think they're tied together, but but we can have separate answers. So the sample size, and you wrote about this in your column, uh, they were better on Tuesday night. Uh, they were not great against, the, against Dallas. Uh, they were plus two on Tuesday night. They did a really good job, I, I thought. Um, at home, there was like a moment or two, I think even in the first period where he looked a little awkward on the offhand, but like largely I thought they played fairly well. Um, I think, and he, he told, uh, did he tell you specifically the, the, the 30, 40, 50 games judge me after 30, 40, 50 games before you make a judgment, I think 50, uh, with all due respect, Matias, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love you, man. Uh, and, and Ryan, but you guys have have played like a gazillion games in the NHL. You're both double digit years in this league. I'm not going to wait 50 games for you to figure it out. Now, it it wasn't, I didn't ask him specifically. I think it Robbie Stanley asked him the question about how he's enjoyed playing with McDonough. And then he kind of said it was, he, he said, I went through the same thing when I started playing with PK five games in everyone wanted to know what, like why we weren't playing the way we should or whatever. And he was like, it's going to be a while before you can really judge before they really have time to kind of gel as a, as a pairing, I think. Yeah. So I'm okay with us saying, let's hold off. We need a much bigger sample size. I'm again, I'm not going to 50 games, but I think, I think 25 that- games is, is probably the sweet spot for that. I, I don't think you give them 50 games of leash. Cause that's what 60 something percent of the season. But I, th- I think <laughs> around 25% of the season, you should, you should, yeah. like you said, they're professionals. They've been doing this for a long time. I think by the time you get to that 25 game mark, they should have it figured out. Yeah, and I, I think you and Gover nailed it on It's All Your Fault. Check it out every Monday from the National Post and the National Scene. Uh, you guys basically said about a third of the season, which is about 25 games. I think that's a fair number. Like if if after 20, 25, 30 games, whatever the number is, that this clearly isn't working, fine. Maybe you start talking about having uh, you know uh, a, a different group back there or whatever. I do. I will disagree with you, though, however, on one point, which is I don't think you want to move McDonough to the opposite hand. I think Matthias Ekholm being the better skater and maybe better puck handler and being more um, uh, familiar with the system, I think you're hurting yourself more by moving McDonough over. I think if you want to decrease someone's value, you decrease Matthias Ekholm's value a little bit because I think he can handle the the situation better. I think you it's a it's a net higher. I don't know how I'm, I don't know if I'm getting this point across. <laughs> like if you're going to move a guy out of position and you're going to lose quote unquote some value. I think Matias Ekholm was better equipped to handle that that value loss, if that makes sense, than Ryan McDonough. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I I don't think they should move Ryan McDonough to the right side. I just, I just, 
my point in saying that was I was surprised that they moved Ekholm over to accommodate someone who's new and who's clearly only got like a three-year window here. And I think Martinez Ekholm is too valuable to be messing around with, I don't know, playing with, with his playing time and his comfortability right now and stuff. But I, but I get that, like, he's probably better equipped to handle that change than McDonough. I think if, if things keep going the way they're going, I say you put Yossi, Ekholm, and McDonough one through three on the left side, and you figure out the right side after that, because clearly whatever they're doing, the numbers aren't terrible, but it, it's, it's, it's hard to justify with the way it looks on the ice. Cause in the ice, it looks, this is one of those cases where the eye test looks really bad, but the numbers say it's fine. It, it's it's yeah. trying to figure out what to do here. Yeah. I think, I think again, going back to who's on what side, I don't, I just don't know if you can play that much talent on one side and have three pairings with that much talent. Like I think you have to get somebody up to the top two because you're just going to play them so much more in general, but that's a that's a, a coaching question. That's a, a hockey insider guru question. Um, to me, it's just about if you're going to get as much value out of McDonough, you want him to be able to slide into his role as quickly as possible. And the best way to do that is to put him in his natural position. Ek, Ekholm, like you're, you're not losing as much from McDonough. In fact, you're going to gain ground because he's going to more quickly acclimate, I guess, is, is would be my argument for that. I just am not concerned about it right now. I'm not. I'm, the sample size needs to be a lot bigger for me before I make any judgments on on yeah. that pairing. Because I I think, and you've said this like a hundred times, like they're the two of the best penalty kill defensemen in the entire world. They've been around ten plus years in this league. You know, they've played in Stanley Cup Finals. Like McDonough's won rings. Like they're, they're going to figure it out. Like I'm not. I'm not worried about that. That that it's, pairing. Something I wouldn't rule out too, just because John Hines likes to think he's a mad scientist and he thinks he can plug anyone anywhere in the work. I, I wouldn't rule out maybe seeing them experiment a little bit with Yossi and Ekholm together. And maybe you put Carrier and McDonough together and then you have like Fabro and Lewis on the third. I don't know, but that's something I wouldn't rule out seeing either because Roman Yossi does kind of play a little bit more like PK Subban and you could have Ekholm be your kind of stay at home defenseman. And that, that might be a pairing that works out too, but it's, it's, I, I thought about to see what happens. No, I thought about this to me. Doesn't Roman of all the, the top three, let's say the top three are, are McDonough, Ekholm and, and Yossi. Um, isn't Yossi the most equipped to change sides because of his skill, his versatility, his skating, how quick he is, his agility. Like, isn't he more, like more capable now again that that breaks up your sort of quote-unquote lockdown defensive pairing i understand that but to me to your point if you have ekholm on the left and mcdonough on the left and then you switch yossi over that actually gives you a guy who i, I just think yossi's far more equipped to to make the switch oh he um, for sure is and that that probably makes the most sense out of everything they could have done but you're not going to go to your captain and the highest paid player on your team and be like hey we're going to move you from your your left side over to your right side and you're just going to deal with this because we need to accommodate everyone else like they're not going to do that i hey if you're the captain you'll do whatever it takes to win games for your team so i don't i don't want to i i hear you on that roman yossi's ego shouldn't be that big <laughs> like if it helps i don't, you I don't think games, it's i don't yeah. think it's roman yossi's ego is that big i i think that the team thinks highly enough of him that they don't want to they don't want to and again Coming off a 96-point season, you don't want to take a chance yeah, of disrupting yeah. that. Like, granted, you're not, you don't expect him to, to replicate that, but a 70 to 80-point season is still very much doable for Romaniosi. And I think that John Hines is probably looking at this and he's like, if we move him to his opposite side, that could potentially bring him down to like the 40-point mark. And we can't have that kind of production out of our out of our best player. I I, I would be stunned if Romaniosi plays 82 games on the right side and, and has 40 points. That would be a stunning drop but but your point I, i've is, said this for years totally valid. roman yossi could be a 60 to 80 point center if they put him there <laughs> that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying um all right so how does this then tie into some of the defensive struggles because again the whole point of bringing in mcdonough was to sort of lock down the defense make them a little bit more disciplined uh, there was a lot of two-on-one rushes frankly for both teams on tuesday night in that king's game um yeah. and and obviously they weren't great against dallas at all a lot of people just putting back rebounds and stuff um how many more? How many games do you need before you? What's the sample size you need before you can say, "Man, I'm concerned about the quality and consistency of the defense in front of UC Soros." I, I think it's a very short leash. I, I say you get to the 12 to 15 game mark somewhere in there, and there's still things still look as bad as they are. I think that's when you you need to kind of shake things up because again. 
and, and I understand what Ekholm was saying, like give us 30, 40, 50 games before you judge us. That's most of the season gone already. You, you can't, you can't <laughs> sell your fan base on being a playoff team while also trying to sell them on, give us time to figure this out. Like it doesn't, you can't, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's around no more than 15 games is kind of where you gotta, you gotta have things figured out because you know what you're getting from Romeo. you know what you're getting from Matias Ekholm. You know what you're getting from Ryan McDonough. I think a little bit to a degree less with Carrier and Fabro and, and everyone else, but you need to figure out a way to make that work because collectively, this is the six, even if you want to go seven deep, this is collectively the best defensive core that this group has had in, in since the cup run, probably. Hmm. Okay. I think I can get on board with that from a pure sort of raw talent and experience standpoint. I think I don't get me wrong. That. Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Matias Eko, and PK Subban were the best top four yeah, that's that, pretty good. that they've probably had. But that's, that's pretty good. But looking looking at six and seven deep with Fabro, Borbieski, Lozon, and all that, I think collectively this is the strongest they've had since that cup run. Yeah, and, and so I, I'm with you. I think I'll probably give it a little bit more time. I'm probably in the 20 game range because I think that it, it's because again, if we're going to say 20 to 25 for McDonough and Ekholm to kind of figure things out and settle in, if all of a sudden around December late December, around Christmas, all of a sudden this team turns into one of the better defensive teams in the Western Conference, I, I think I'm fine with that. I, I think I, I think that can get them into the playoffs and get them capable of winning a playoff series. So I, maybe I'll go a little bit more conservative than you, but I, I agree it's it's not right now. Um, I don't think to, I don't think today give this team a couple couple more weeks and and if they rattle off a bunch of wins, then we know the answer. And if they lose a bunch of games because their defense is porous and they're giving up high danger chances, then we know the pro where the problem is. So yeah. I, what's funny about all of this is, is Ekholm and McDonough are actually, according to the numbers, like slightly above average, the, the, the predators worst defensive pairing, but according to natural stat trick and the numbers that they have on there is actually Carrier and Yossi, which is surprising. Well, they're, they're two very, this is like why I always thought they would split them up, I guess, but um they're just both very offensive, skilled players. And as far as, and again, we, even on the, the the second goal of the game in the third period, like I thought Yossi was in position. Carrier just allowed the guy to go right around him, which I think again was Lemieux, I think actually, right? I think yeah. it was the, the guy who, who everybody wants to punch. Um, he, I think he went right around Carrier, around the boards and just feathered a path a pass across. It happened to be up in the air. It happened to go off a guy's leg. It happened to go in the net. So um to me what's, that what's crazy about game. that is is so the predators save percentage when carrier and yossi are on the ice together as the defensive pairing is 82.3 82.35 percent that's terrible that's that's really bad <laughs> if you want to let me give me one second to pull it up over here for mcdonough and ekholm it's a lot better it's actually the predators on ice save percentage when the pairing defensive pairing is ekholm and mcdonough is 94.7 which is Ooh. the best at defensive pairings that's about how you what type of shots you are allowing what type of opportunities you are allowing so all right the we second have, best on ice say percentage ironically is dante fabro and roman eoc and that's 91.67 percent well and you better believe that uh and i'm assuming john hines is not surfing natural stat trick but <laughs> I, I imagine he has some even higher level data because yeah. as we learned um, john hines has that sport logic data yes as we know there's only two teams in the nhl that are not subscribed to sport logic. And I don't believe the Preds is one of them. So uh, there, there you have it. They've got lots of data on that kind of stuff. So imagine I bet we'll you see. Washington's one of them. Like, I don't, I think Peter Lovey <laughs> probably has someone come to him and hand him that stuff. And he slaps it like, get that out of my face. No. So it's funny, funny story. The first time uh, when I first got hired at, at uh, to do the morning show for one Oh two five, we went in and met with Peter Lovey Fitzy and I did. And like Paul, uh, Paul coffee was in there. And like that old, that old, the old coaching staff and we're talking and, and uh, like, there was uh, like a head nod, uh, like a, oh yeah, we use a lot more analytics than you think. Like Vrabel's the same <laughs> way for the Titans. Vrabel's like, he'll, he won't talk about it. He's not going to address it. He's not going to hire somebody labeled that at his position, but don't tell me he doesn't study every piece of data possible. So I, oh, I think Lavi sure. kind of, Lavi just likes to be a, you know. He just likes to be a, an asshole about everything. <laughs> What's funny is when I used to cover high school sports, I, I actually covered his daughter at Brentwood High School in a softball tournament. And I was shooting photos of her, uh, not of her, but of, of the team. And she happened to be up at bat. And I happened to snap a really good photo. And he came up to me and he was just joking around me. He's, he's a much different person away from the ice than yeah. he is when he's in like head coach mode, which is kind of funny because he's yeah. actually he's actually really funny, personable guy away from the ice. I, I, I could totally see that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I could absolutely see that happening because I was around him off the ice in a, in a couple of like formal settings and no sense of humor whatsoever. But that's just that's just my personal experience. <laughs> I was part of the evil media empire at the time. So he hated me. It's fine. Um, comes with the territory. We'll, we'll get to some salary cap news here coming up and we'll wrap up this show. Of course, all brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks at Jasper's. Great happy hour during Preds games. Make sure you go check that out. Weiss Liquors as well are two great sponsors. Support local business. You support local media with the Nashville scene and the Nashville Post, listening and reading all of Michael's work. And you can also support local media with 440 Sports, all of our great podcasts, but also, of course, our sponsors, Jaspers and Weiss Liquors. Uh, all right, that that leads us to uh, UC Soros. And I want, I want you to package uh, how dependent this team is, being maybe too dependent on UC Soros and his slow starts, because his numbers aren't great, but we know he's a really good goaltender. I want to I want to try to steal something from it's all your fault, and I'm just going to blatantly steal it from you guys because you stole it from somebody else, and it's not a it new is. idea. I, I know Justin Bradford gets credit for it. It's not a new idea. Um, the guys at Broadway Sports Media do this with terrible Twitter takes article every week about the Titans. Like having terrible takes as like a con a content piece is not some you know earth shattering new concept. But I mean, one o two five makes a whole entire show out of it from what two oh, to six p.m. Oh. So. <laughs> Wow. I'm going to clip this and send it to him. Um, Go for but, it. But you're not it's wrong. well documented that my, I, do, I do not like one of their one of their show hosts. Caroline is great. The Why other would you talk about fun. Caroline that way? She's a lovely lady. She's wonderful. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I would like to uh, absolutely bogart the idea because I love terrible Twitter takes. Now, what I've learned is that because I've insulated my Twitter account so so hardcore from like people I don't like and things I don't like, I've curated my feed so carefully that I don't see a lot of the sewers and I deal with like, it's the same problem with the Titans and with college football. Like I can't see all the suit. Like I've, I've so carefully filtered my feed that I don't see a lot of this stuff. Um, So I want you to bring, if you see something, if you see garbage Twitter takes about the Preds or social takes about the Preds and we want to bake them into the show at the end of the episode each week, like you do with, it's all your fault. I think that's a great idea. I love it. Uh, And I think we've got one today that will serve us right into our final conversation about UC Soros. Yeah, so Preds Twitter admittedly is is really bad, but it's it doesn't hold a candle to how bad Preds Facebook is. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's two Preds Facebook groups. The main one is Nashville Predators Hockey, of which Justin Bradford, I think, is, is an admin. Um, it's always really good for, for a lot of laughs. And one that I saw last night, and I understand, I get... It's very easy to overreact to a bad game because you look at it, you blow a two-goal lead in the final eight minutes of the third period, and it's very easy to look at that and, and blame the goalie. And I and I get that, but so I was scrolling through just scrolling through social media before I went to bed last night, and the Predators Facebook group popped up, and Paula Childers, and I, I said this on "It's All Your Fault." We are going to name names. We are going to bring the receipts because we are very big on accountability. Hey, Paula, hey, we got it. We'll hold ourselves accountable, and you hold yeah, us. They accountable, hold us. They so. hold us accountable as well. So. No question. Yeah. Paula Childers said, "Am I the only one who thinks Juice had a fluke, lucky year, and is never going to be the goalie they thought that he would be?" Yes. The answer is yes. Yes, she's the only one. The, if don't you could don't heard, try to do. Don't try to go logic and reason here, Michael. I know you want to. I know you want to. <laughs> if you could have heard the eye roll I had when I first read that, I just yes. You I, see I don't sorrows, even, total fluke. <laughs> I don't even think that needs an explanation or justification. Like, I don't think we need to defend anything. Just, it's amusing in itself just hearing it. Yes, he had he had a fluke year last year when he was a Vezina Trophy finalist. You're right. <laughs> when when he was like a, almost what was he like eighth in the heart voting the year before, which yeah. is the MVP. The guy that's been in the top five of every major goalie statistical categories for the last yeah. three years. Yes, he's had a fluke yeah. year. Absolutely right. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that one. Like, I don't, there's nothing I can say. Like, if you think UC Saros isn't a good goaltender, I, I'm just not sure you should be a hockey fan, honestly. That like, would, that's, think, that's almost the equivalent of saying, someone saying Connor McDavid only puts up a lot of points because he plays with really good players. That, that's the equivalent <laughs> of, of what that person just said with UC Saros. Connor McDavid is overrated because he's just fast. Yeah. That's all it is. He plays with Leon Dreisaitl. He's <laughs> just fast. Um, so they are too dependent on UC, though, but this ties into our defensive conversation. They are, yes. And so, and I guess, I don't know how different those conversations are. I know this is a point of contention that you had, though, because I, I was, I know you wanted to talk about it. So explain, explain what you mean. Yeah, I, I mean, and it, we I saw it more so in the, in the home opener against Dallas, a little bit more in the second game 
in Dallas, and I saw it last night too. The defense is just so lackadaisical in front of Soros, and we and we saw this a lot with Pecorine when Pecorine was continuously one of the you know top two or three best goalies in the world. The defense had a lot of the mentality of oh. Rene's back there. He's got it. And I think that ties into what we were saying with Matt Duchesne with some of the effort stuff where if they don't believe like, like on that, on that one play I was talking about where Duchesne got beat on the breakaway and it, it almost looked like a penalty shot because of how far behind yeah. uh, the, the Kings player he was. If Saros doesn't make that save, that really probably turns the tide of the game right there. And it just, I think that's something that there was, I'm not saying that Matt Duchesne just gave up on that play, but I don't think he probably had, I don't want to say, I don't think he gave it a hundred percent trying to catch up and stop that play because Saros was there. It's like, Oh, we have one of the best goalies in the world. We have a Vezina trophy, Vezina trophy finalist goalie back there that can stop this puck and which he did to his credit. But I just feel like that they, that they play very loosey goosey and it really bothers me because of the collection of talent they have defensively, they should be playing a lot better. I do have some some stats and stuff we can run through in a second. Well, I just have one one comment. I, I want to make sure we're clear. Like, I don't question Matt Duchesne's effort. I don't question anybody's effort. I question like mistakes and discipline and things of that nature. Like, I don't I I don't say like oh somebody didn't try or whatever. Like, I don't think that's what I'm trying to say. I don't think that's what you're trying to say. I think it's more about um, just discipline and and focus and and that kinds of stuff and and you know taking care of your own. I think is more about what we're talking about. Yeah. But when it comes to relying on UC Saros, the and, and I, I get it, the temptation is there because he is one of the best in the world. But the Predators have allowed the second most scoring chances and the fourth, fourth most high danger shots this season. Through five games, and granted, like not every shot on goal, we're not, we're not talking shots on goal, we're talking just scoring chances. They've allowed 171 through five games. And something that kind of bothers me with the way they defend too is UC Saros, because he is a shorter player, is a shorter goalie. He does have a lot. He does give up a lot of rebound attempts. He's allowed the fourth, the fourth most rebound attempts through five games. It's, granted, it's only fifteen, but one third of the of the goals that other teams have scored have come off of those rebound attempts. Yeah. That's something that's concerning. And he gave up 186 rebound attempts last year. So this is, isn't something he's just now struggling. It's something he's struggled with his entire career. The way well, the Predators' defense plays. If you're giving up rebound attempts and you're giving up a lot of high danger chances and you're giving up a lot of plays in front of the crease, that's going to lead to goals. The defense needs to tighten up in front of him and they need to learn to defend the crease better. Well, and I, there's also like UC Saros also gets to certain pucks and makes saves that lots of goaltenders cannot. And therefore, yeah. like some of those are just already goals and UC creates a rebound goal instead, if that makes sense. Um, but I think having guys in place to clean it up to protect their goaltender is what we're talking about here is, is having guys disciplined and where they are supposed to be positioned to make sure that those mistakes don't happen. There's not just some guy standing on the back end of the goal, like wide yeah. open with the puck bouncing to a stick and he's just standing there with nobody pressuring him or bothering him. And that's probably and, a better way to phrase it is uh, they are too reliant on UC Saros to make outstanding saves, but they, they are out of position a lot more than they yeah. should be for yeah. the collection of talent that they have. So you're saying that last year was a fluke that UC yes. Saros is actually a below average goaltender that last year was a total statistical anomaly from his entire career. Got it. Yeah. Okay. They, they should have, honestly, they should have kept David Riddick around. I don't know why they didn't. <laughs> uh, all right. That just about does it for our first like in season real episode of the gold standard, Michael, that was awesome. I do appreciate I I it. Touch on real quick before, oh, yeah, we, yeah. before we move on. And this kind of goes into talking about the lack of offense too. And I guess it ties in with, with the way they play defensively. The Predators lead the NHL in hits and takeaways, and they rank second in block shots. That is what that is the identity. You want to be physical, you want to go out there, and you want to impose your will on the other team. The fact that they're leading in two of those three categories and they're second in the third category shows, and I, I've been saying this for a while, I don't think having the, the physical beat-you-up mentality suits this team. They've been built on defense and goaltending, and I think they could they would be – they would it would behoove them to take a page out of the Colorado Avalanche book and build their team around speed, not physicality. Okay, all right, interesting note to keep an eye on. Uh, also, quickly, piece of news: salary cap. Uh, it's been reported yeah. that it could it could go up as as much as four or four and a half million dollars for the following season. Um, some of that's, that's it, that it, could it, be Tanner Janot's salary next year, right? And it's very complicated. It's because there was some deferred debt, and the players are players owe the the league some money during the pandemic because of losses and blah 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 blah. 
But as soon as that money is recouped, then the, the cap can go back up again. And yeah, that's an extra Nito Nito rider. Like that's what that is. That's an extra uh, Mikhail Granlin. That's an extra, you know, whatever. So uh, every team in the league basically gets one extra player next year or maybe the year after. I'm not 100% sure on when that's going to happen. But uh, just a quick note there that, you know, if you're if you're worried about the Forsberg contract, if you're worried about the Yossi contract and Duchesne and all these big numbers, uh, McDonough was a big number they acquired this offseason as well. There's there is some cap relief coming to not just the Predators, but everybody uh, in the very new future, which I think David Poyle was counting on when he gave some of those contracts to people. So uh, that's our quick note. Otherwise, uh, support good local stuff. Read the Nashville Post, read the Nashville scene, follow Michael on Twitter. Where can they get to you, my man? at mg sports underscore and we also just the scene released best of nashville last week so go on there and look at that and a bunch of predators won some awards and titans and nashville see but is that popular stuff. best of is that a thing that's been ha- like what I've, I've never heard of that best of nashville yeah uh we just started <laughs> up last year it's only the biggest giant most large most most massively consumed uh edition and issue of the nashville scene each and every year so go check it out um best of of course and uh support good local journalism post and scene michael gallagher as well support local business uh listen to listen to all the 440 sports podcasts and um support local business as well by shopping at weiss liquors uh, uber eats they'll deliver booze to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes and of course jasper's great specials better specials than all the pred special teams uh drink specials food specials booze specials Every day, four to six during games, Wednesday nights, you got the bubbly and then Sundays, two for one and buckets of beer now as well. So go check out, go swing by Jasper's. They got a great game room. It's a cool place and a proud sponsor and proud partner of the Nashville Predators and watch party Thursday night, the gold center. Yeah. Watch party Thursday night. So go check it out, everybody. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Make sure you check out. It's all your fault coming up on Monday. They'll recap the next two games and then we'll be back with you guys on Friday. So have a great weekend, everybody from Michael and Braden. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. This has been the gold standard here on the 440 Sports Network.